Um, hey, I want to uh, jump into John chapter 14 today. We're in a series on the Gospel of John going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And last week we started John 14, and uh, this week we will uh, continue in that. Last week we saw Jesus say, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. And, uh, and this week we're going to pick right up after that where... Um, in John 14, verse 4, are you ready? You got your word? Yeah, we have Bibles for you again. Right in the back. If you ever need a Bible, take one of those. John 14, uh, verse 4 through 14, and then we'll pray. And you know the way where I am going, said Jesus. Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these Will he do because I am going to the Father? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for gathering us together on this uh, cold morning and um, that we are uh, free to come in and worship you and uh, hear from your word. And so I pray that Spirit of God, you'd continue to work, that you would open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand and receive a word from you today. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would teach us as we seek to understand John 14, and uh, that you'd guide my words in my speech, that I'd only say what is uh, pleasing to you, and that you'd restrain me from saying anything more. Father, um, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you and that you'd work uh, in powerful ways this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have you ever felt lost before? You ever felt lost? Um, man, it's, it's kind of disorienting. Uh, whenever there was a time where me and some uh, young men went to uh, a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, some church conference, and the first day we get into Atlanta and we uh, go to get our hotel, and, and there's a parking garage near our hotel, so we go into the parking garage, and um, the parking garage, we drive down the ramps into like the basement of the parking garage, and there's no cars that we can see really at all in this parking garage, so we get to the basement floor, drive down the ramp to the basement floor, get out of the car, Walk around, we think we're going to walk around, you know how there's like this center aisle, and then you kind of walk around thinking we're going to get out some way, and again, we're in the basement, so there's like, you're not seeing outside anywhere, there's concrete walls all the way, so we walk all the way around this parking garage and see no exit, and so we go all the way to the other end, and we come back around 
up a ramp and see our car. And we're like, did we just go, is this the Twilight Zone? How did we go, we parked down a ramp, we go up a ramp, and how did, how did this happen? And at that point, all of us looked at each other, and it was a couple of us guys, we looked at each other and we're like, we've got to get out of this car parking garage. We thought we just went through a portal. How in the world did this happen? We felt so lost and disoriented, and we're like, get out of this place. We found, we like jumped through a window or something, we found a way out. But feeling being lost is disorienting. And that's what the disciples really are experiencing here. Have you ever had questions about God? Questions about the Bible? About life after death? Have you ever been confused about what the Bible teaches? Anybody ever been confused about what the Bible teaches about something? You're like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, don't, I don't quite get it. I have some, I have some questions. To it. Can I have some answers? Well, um, look, we're all in good company because that's exactly what the disciples are experiencing. They're feeling lost. They're feeling disoriented. <laughs> Thomas, Jesus says in, in verse 4, he says, you know the way where I'm going. He just told them, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then in verse 4, he said, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas is like, know the way? We don't even know where you're going. <laughs> How can we know the way to get there? We don't even know where there is. Like, what's going on? He's feeling lost, feeling disoriented. Thomas, you know Thomas, right? We typically call him Doubting Thomas, right? Poor Thomas. He's kind of skeptical. He has questions. But he's the one in the group that's willing to voice those questions, right? Most of them are having the same questions. They're just like, I'm not going to be the guy. I'm not going to be the guy. But Thomas is like, I'll take it. I'll be the guy. So he asks a question. Verse 5. Um... Hey, Jesus, um, Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? So then Jesus says, famous, John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So he addresses uh, what's stirring. Earlier we saw that his, the disciples' hearts were troubled and uh, they're, at this point, they're feeling confused and lost and disoriented. They have a lot of questions. And Jesus addresses that, and this is how he addresses it. First thing is this. If there's three points today, here's the first one. Pursue the way of Jesus. Pursue the way of Jesus. Jesus is truly uh, the only way to eternal life with the Father. He says this in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the way. This I am is uh, the sixth of seven I am statements that Jesus made. Jesus said things like, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. Uh, he'll say, I am the vine. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This I am is ego, I, me, this is the same uh, word used whenever Moses is uh, at the burning bush. You know the story of Moses walking along, this bush is burning up but not being consumed. And then the bush starts talking to him and calls him, God through this bush, calls him to go um, rescue the, the Israelites out of Egypt to free God's people. 
And Moses says, who, who will I tell them sent me? I go on behalf of you. They're going to ask, who is it that sent you? He says, who do, what do I tell them? And he says, I am. I am that I am. Same phrase here. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is claiming to be God. He is linking himself with the God of the Old Testament that spoke to Moses. But he says, I am the way. I am the way. It's interesting he doesn't say, I know the way. It'd be nice if someone just knew the way. Well, he's like, I'm not saying I know the way. I'm not going to give you um, a list of directions. Because um, what happens when you get directions? You just like, you lose a piece of it, take a wrong turn. You can get lost. You can still get confused. That's why if somebody starts giving me directions, I'm like, just give me the address. We have things now that like get us there. If you just give me the address, I'll get my own directions. Because someone who gives you directions, they can be lost in translation. It can be left up to you to confuse them. So he doesn't say, I give you a way. I've got a way. He says, I am. I'll show you the way. It's completely different. I'll show you the way. It's like someone saying, look, I'll take you there. Whenever I was, uh, I, I, when I was 18 years old, I worked um, with uh, one of the guys in our church, Brother Kelton, he, he, uh, he worked off, not offshore, but um, shutdowns, where we'd go into a plant like DuPont or something, and they'd shut down a portion of the plant, and we'd go and, and tear it off and uh, rebuild it. And so I, I go, and for, new experience for me, 18 years old, uh, going across the country to, I think we went to North Carolina and uh, maybe Kentucky or something one time, Kansas, maybe it was Kansas. I try to forget those, those experiences, but, um, <laughs> but we were, we're at one of them, so we're out of town, I'm 18 years old, Kelton, it's 5 o'clock in the morning, we're driving to the uh, plant, he hasn't told me what the name of the plant is, I don't have an address for the plant, he's just follow me to the plant, and uh, so it's 5 o'clock, it's dark, I'm following, trying my best to stay with Kelton. And Kelton, I don't know if you guys knew this about him, but he's a pretty wild driver. And so he gets there like he knows how to get there. I don't know how to get there. I'm trying to keep up with him. And we get to this red light, and the red light turns yellow, and Kelton goes through the yellow light, of course, because he's not trying to lead anybody anywhere. And so he goes through the yellow light, and me behind him, like if I lose him, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to get there, I don't have an address, I have no idea, so I can't lose him. So I'm like, there's no, it's 5 o'clock in the morning, no one's around here. Go through the now red light, please forgive me, you guys. Go through the now red light, you know what I see? Just flashes everywhere. I'm like, no, I've been caught. <laughs> but I couldn't lose Kelton because it's not only that he knew the way, it's like, he, for me, he was the way. I lose him, I lose everything. So I risk everything to stay with him. If there's a difference between someone who tells you a way and someone who says, I am the way, I'll get you there. Now the difference about Jesus is that he's not like running ahead of us. He's not like, try to keep up, try to keep up. And we always have to fear of losing him. No, he's like, I'm going to walk right alongside of you. I'm going to make sure you get there. I'll hold your hand if I have to. I am the way. But he also says, I am the truth. I am the truth. Now, the way is the, um, the reason why this is the point is because this is the main point of this verse. 
Although the truth and the life are individual things, they're supporting things for the way. But he says, I'm the truth. Now, um, this is controversial, although you wouldn't think that it should be. But the idea of truth, absolute truth. Did you know that 58% of Americans don't believe there's absolute truth, that there's an absolute truth that exists? Um, they believe, this study showed that 58% of American adults believe that you, get to, you make up your own moral truth. And what's morally true for you is maybe not what's morally true for me. But the um, even more concerning thing is that among people who attended evangelical churches, 46% um, of them would say, no, we don't believe in an absolute moral truth. An absolute truth, an objective truth, something that exists outside of us. And, um, and so it's really prevalent among uh, young people, my generation and, and younger, to say, hey, truth is relative. You're, you have your truth. I have my truth. And our, our truths might disagree, but it's just true for you. It's absolute truth doesn't exist. The, the problem is that practically everyone believes in absolute truth. Practically you believe this because, and let me, let me explain it to you. Because if you say absolute truth doesn't exist, that truth is relative, you're believing that is true. You're making a truth claim whenever you say truth doesn't exist. If you go to a doctor, practically it works like this. If you go to a doctor and your doctor takes some results, uh, some tests. He's like, hey, we see some things that are concerning. We want to take some test results. He takes the, the test. You go in for the results. You've been nervous about it. He sits down with you and I'm going to give you the results. Do you want the, the truth? Or do you, just, do, you, do you just want the doctor's truth? Or does he, do you want him to conform to your truth? Who, whose truth do you want? I, I, I heard recently that there was um, this big stir up in Japan because doctors weren't telling their patients whenever they had terminal diseases and illnesses. They just, they just wouldn't tell them. And, just, and so you had all these people who were dying like they didn't expect it. They went to the doctor. The doctor, no, everything's good. But the doctor just didn't want to tell them, hey, you have cancer. Hey, you're going to die in a, in, in a few months. He just didn't, they just didn't want to tell them. So, so do you want the doctor to tell you the truth, an objective, absolute truth, or do you want him to tell him his truth or conform to your truth? We, you really want truth. You really want truth. If a friend tells you that absolute truth doesn't exist, just cut in line in front of them. All of a sudden, he's going to appeal to some absolute objective moral truth for how you have wronged him. See, practically, it just the way it works out is that um, we all believe absolute truth to exist. But for some reason, we, we feel like we can deny it. And why is this important? Why is this important? Um, because truth has consequences. What you believe to be true shapes your behavior. And uh, if, we, if we were just to, to define truth, how it's traditionally been defined, is that truth is that which agrees with reality, that which corresponds with reality. How can I test if something is true if it's, you know, if it lines up with reality? 
and that shapes your behavior. So if you believe it to be cold outside, you got, you got on your, your, your weather app and you, oh, it says it's going to be cold today, it shapes your behavior. You put on some layers, right? And you get ready for some cold weather. But how can you tell if your weather app has told you the truth? Well, you just step outside. Step outside, and then you can test. Does what the weather app told me correspond with reality? And if it doesn't, if you step outside and it's actually hot, which is like a normal experience for us here in the South, you step out one day, it's 75, you step out the other, it's like 35, and you're like, How, the, what happens when you step out and you got layers on and now it's 70? It changes your behavior. What you believe to be true shapes how you live, how you behave. So if Jesus is the truth, he's saying that he's the only way to the Father. And if that is true, then it must change the way we be believe and behave. I have to believe in him for salvation because if this is true, I have to trust him for my salvation. It's the only way to the Father. And I, I have to obey him. I get to obey Him, really. That if this is true, it's going to shape how I live. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is really not the only exclusive claim that Jesus made to be the only way to God. Now, in the Old Testament, you have uh, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. There, there's one true God. There's only, way, there's only one uh, God that can save and uh, is real. So there's exclusive claims in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Jesus makes over a hundred, I'm sorry, not Jesus, but about Jesus, there's a hundred exclusive claims that he is the only way to eternal life. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is salvation in no one else. No one else has come to save you. There's no other name by which we're saved but Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man Jesus Christ. One mediator. There's only one way to get to, only one middleman between us and the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. You might say, well, that's just kind of narrow-minded. And Christians are uh, accused of being narrow-minded often. Have you ever been accused of being narrow-minded? It's exactly what it is. It's kind of narrow-minded. <laughs> we see in Matthew, I think once you read Matthew, um, Chapter 7, you're going to kind of want to be a little narrow-minded. Matthew 7, verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, you're narrow-minded, yeah? Well, well, the path to life is kind of narrow. So if I'm too open-minded or too wide-minded, I'm like on the wrong path. That one leads to like destruction. So we're like, hey, hey, Pastor, don't you know, like, like get on board. The majority of thinking people today are, are saying that absolute truth doesn't exist. Can't you just, yes, the wide path. There's a narrow path, 
That's the one I want to be on. It says the narrow path leads to a life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus is not saying, I am a way. Uh, I, I, I'm a truth. He's not saying, I, I'm one possible life. You can choose me among all the other things there are to choose, to believe in. No, he's saying, I am the way, the truth, the life. You might say, well, that's too exclusive. It's too exclusive. Um, one, just, just the staggering thing is that there is a way to eternal life. Like, we feel like we deserve options. Can't I get there my way? Well, you, you're, you're not, you don't have your own universe. You've got to kind of work within the universe that God has and play by his rules. And, and, and the fact that he even made a way should stagger you. Not, there's only one way. You should be like, there's a way! Praise the Lord! There's a way to life. And that's what he's, that's what he's saying. It's too exclusive. But notice this, that it's not exclusive in the sense that it is excluding any particular people. It's not exclusive in all, um, every age and race and language, nationality, everyone is welcome. Whoever believes in me shall have life, he says. Whoever the exclusiveness is the way, is the path. There's only one way. Everybody who wants to get there can take the way, but there is only one way. And he gives us two foundations for trusting in Jesus. Let's just read through it. No one comes to the Father but through me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also, for from now on you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, um, Lord, show us, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us, which uh, is not an uncommon request to be made. Uh, in the Old Testament, we have people who are like, God, show me your glory. Moses said this. Moses saw, Moses saw the parting of the Red Sea. He saw the manna come from heaven, the water come from a rock. He saw God do amazing miracles, and he was still like, can you just show me your glory? Like, just let me see you. I want more. Show me the Father. And so here, Philip is like, if you could show us what y'all showed Moses, that'd be enough. I'd be like, I believe. I'm in. No more doubts. And Jesus is like, I, I, I've been with you this whole time. Look, Philip's like, Lord, show us. And that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, um, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen uh, the Father, has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's like, I, Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. Notice that there is a distinction between the Father and the Son, and in other places, the Spirit. So we have the distinction of the Trinity. Christians believe in one God uh, in three persons. 
And so here we have Jesus is like, I am God, um, and, and the Father is God. There's a distinction between the Father and the Son, but He's in me and I'm in Him. There's a unity between us. So He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we read some of these Old Testament accounts, and I'll tell you, they are staggering. My mom and I were just talking about this this week. She, she was reading one in Exodus where they, they kind of enter into the presence of God and have a meal with Him. And um, it's like, what would that have been like? It's amazing to think about. Jesus is like, I am the fullest representation of God there is. God in the flesh. You've been with me this whole time. There's nothing more to see. I am God. I am the Father. And the Father is in me. It's incredible. But he gives two foundations. I told you that. So he's like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's why you can believe or trust that I um, am saying the truth. Verse 10, he said, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So he gives them these two, the words and the works. So the words, he's like, I'm clearly, throughout my ministry, throughout my time with you guys, I've clearly uh, told you that um, I am God that I am the Messiah, that I am Christ, and I'm the only way to salvation. I've told you that. So those are the words, but then how can I, how, what substantiates my words? Um, my works, all the miracles that he has done. In uh, John, if you flip over a couple of chapters, uh, John chapter 20, verse uh, 30, he gives us the purpose statement. We've uh, been familiar with this purpose statement of the book. He says, now Jesus did many other signs, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he says, you, um, these works, these signs, these miracles that Jesus did, they're to attest, to validate his words, to prove that he is God. And so Jesus says, I am the way. I am God. Well, does that align with reality? Well, yeah. Anyone who can predict their own death, burial, and resurrection and then pull it off, will you be like, yeah, I, I can trust them. I can trust them. So everything that he said is true because it aligns with reality based on his works. The foundation of trust in Jesus' words and works, words and deeds. This is the foundation for trusting anyone, really, and trusting uh, a minister, a good minister. You know what a good minister has? Sound doctrine, words, and a good character, or good life, his deeds. That's really the basis for trusting anyone. You want to know, um, uh, do their words and their works align? And that's how we can trust Jesus. We're all searching for uh, a truth. Um, there's, uh, I was watching this week, I was watching this, uh, this documentary on the uh, ancient Egyptian pyramids. And it's quite fascinating, you know, to think about those things. And you have these people who've devoted their lives to studying and searching for answers about how these pyramids came to be. And there's so much mystery around how they were built. I mean, the way they're built, it's like, how in the world did they accomplish this? With, with they, in the documentary, they said they didn't have the wheel. They didn't even have the wheel. 
They didn't have iron. They, they, they had to use uh, copper chisels. They had to cut the stone with a copper saw that didn't have teeth. It just grinded. It just grinded sand between. It was incredible. And they're like, we don't know. There's so much mystery. How did they accomplish this? So many different theories. You know what we wish we had? We wish we had someone who was there. Wouldn't that be great? Someone who was there that's like, let me tell you how it was done. Y'all are so wrong. It was aliens. Like, like, we wish we had someone who was there to tell us the truth about what actually happened. Because we don't know. And they don't know. People who have devoted their lives are still like, we, we think. But what we want is someone to tell us the truth. See, Jesus doesn't just um, know the truth. He is the truth. He embodies the truth. He's a reliable testimony of what God is like because he is God. He's like, I can tell you about heaven because that's my home. I can tell you what God's like because that's who I am. I don't just know the truth. I am the truth. And you can believe in me because believing in me brings life, eternal life. All right, so pursue the way of Jesus. Let's press into him, know him. He is the only way to God. And then secondly, um, practice the works of Jesus. So he says this verse, it's a little controversial. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me uh, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So he says, if you believe in me, you'll do the works that I do. So we're practicing the works of Jesus, but he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He says, you'll do greater works, which has caused all types of speculation about what did he mean by we are going to do greater works than him. How is that possible? So here's three options. I'm sure there's more than this, but here's kind of the three main options on how to interpret this passage. Uh, number one option is that um, he's talking to his disciples in the room. He's got the 11 disciples. Judas has left. So he's got the 11 disciples there, and he's like, you guys are going to uh, do the works that I... You're going to have miracles. You're gonna, miracles are going to be a part of your life like they were a part of my life. And they were. The disciples, if we have the record of Acts, they did a lot of miracles. God used them to do many miracles. Um, but the problem with that is, like, what about Paul? Paul did miracles. Like, if he was only talking to the 11, what about Paul? What about the other people in the book of Acts who did miracles that weren't part of the 11? Um, but also notice in the verse, he says, whoever believes in me will do these works. So he's not just talking about the 11 or the disciples. He's talking about all people who believe in Jesus will do these works. Okay, so we're going to scratch that one. Second option is this. Um, he is referring to everyone, um, but only if you have enough faith, you can do miracles. But the burden... To manufacture these miracles is going to be on you and your, your level of faith. Because he says, those who believe in me will do greater works. And, and so this is a whole uh, kind of uh, Christian tradition or denomination that says, you can do miracles just like Jesus, but only if you have enough faith. If your faith is big enough, you can do it. And if you can't do it, shame on you because that proves your faith isn't strong enough. There's a lot of uh, issues with that. Um, but notice that in the text he says, um, he says, whoever believes uh, will, not might, will do the works that I do. 
These are things that people who believe in Jesus will do, not might do, based on their level of faith. So we're going to scratch that one. We can explore it later at another time. Option number three is, um, is this, that the works um, are different uh, than signs. So um, signs are miracles that attest to Jesus' identity as the Messiah and, and the Son of God and lead others to believe in him. So we just read that in, in uh, chapter 20, verse 30, where he says, These signs Jesus did are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, the Christ, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there's some miracles that Jesus did that their purpose was to point to his uh, divinity, that he is God. And, and that's different than works that he speaks of here. Um, Works can mean, it's a more broad term, and it can mean miracles, but it means both miracles and Jesus' other activities and teachings, including the entirety of His ministry. So what He is encouraging His disciples to do is to imitate the things that He did in His life and ministry. It's just asking the question, what would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do? What would he say? How would he live his life? Imitating his works, his deeds, his life. These greater works include evangelism and teaching, deeds of mercy and compassion. It's a life that's fully dependent on God and a love for people. That yes, miracles can happen and God can use people to do miracles, but he's not just referring to miracles. He's referring to the, the way you practice, the way you, the way you live your life. Um, that's only made possible through the Holy Spirit. Notice he says in verse 12, he says, um, greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Because I am going to the Father? Why is that significant? Look at verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. He's going to send you a Helper, the Spirit of God. And in chapter 16, verse 7, He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, because I go to the Father. It is your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So he says, these greater works are contingent on me leaving so I can then send the Holy Spirit to indwell you, to empower you to do greater works than I have done. And so he's not speaking of greater in uh, magnitude or greater in power or, or s- splendor. Like he's, How do you do greater works than, than turning water into wine? How do you do a greater work than walking on water? How many, how many, anybody done that yet? Like, maybe you've believed in Jesus. Have you walked on water? Have you, uh, how do you do greater works than giving sight to the blind? How do you do a greater work than raising the dead? Hey, have you ever raised any dead people? Nope. Don't plan to. And if you have that gift, don't you try to raise me from the dead. You're going to suck me right back out of heaven into this mess. Uh-uh. Like, leave me alone. 
So he's not talking about greater in a magnitude or greater in power. He, it's greater in extent. Greater in number. Here's an easy way to remember this. It's not greater in quality of works, but greater in quantity of works. And the primary work that Jesus came to do, can you guess it? He came to redeem people. That's why He came. He came to save the world. That's His primary work. And we have the opportunity through the Holy Spirit to spread the message of redemption to more people than Jesus ever did on earth. We just do. We have a greater opportunity. Jesus, when in His ministry, in His life, He made salvation possible and then passed it on to us to then see salvation work out in people's lives. To see people transformed. And we, in our physical world, in our physical reality, have seen more people be transformed by the work of Jesus than Jesus did in His time on earth. More people came to follow, notice this, more people came to follow Christ in the, last, in the first few months of Christianity than ever did in Jesus' entire ministry. At the end of Jesus' ministry, whenever He ascends to heaven, you know how many Christians there are? 120. There's 120 in the upper room praying. The Holy Spirit falls. Uh, first day of Holy Spirit indwelt Christianity. Uh, how many people come to faith in Christ? Uh, 3,000. In the first day after Jesus ascended to the Father and gave the Holy Spirit, they did greater works than He did in His entire ministry in saving souls. In, in um, the first 30 years of Christianity, uh, millions came to follow Christ. Millions came to follow Jesus. Now, now we're really not point, pinning the works of the disciples are the works of Christians against the works of Jesus because it's actually Jesus through us that accomplishes his works. Like it's really Jesus still doing the work of transforming lives. He's just doing it through us. And so this makes sense of the passage that says, greater works will you do than I have done whenever because I go to the Father and empower you with the Spirit. So, so healings are cool. Praise God for healings. Um, but the greatest miracle is a sinner getting from earth to heaven. Amen. That's the greatest miracle. And that's what we get to be a part of. I, I, I don't want to dismiss it all. I don't want you to get the idea. I do believe in miracles. I believe in healings. I believe God can work in power in 2022 as much as he did in, in 33 AD. I believe he's just as powerfully working. But I don't think this verse is saying you're going to do greater miracles than Jesus, but that the works that he does through you is going to be greater in extent. And so are you practicing the works of Jesus? Is what it looks like to follow Jesus, like to begin to do the things that he did, to love like him, to care like he did, to have compassion like he did, but to share the message of good, the good news of Jesus Christ like he did. If Jesus looked at your life, would he say, greater works are you doing than I did? Would he say that? If he looked at your life, would he say, greater works are you doing than I ever did? Incredible. If Christianity, if all Christians shared their faith like you share your faith, how would it be going?
Would people be coming to Christ? Would the kingdom of God be growing? I don't mean to, uh, my, my goal here is not to offer any shame to, to your Christian walk. I want you to see that God uh, invites us in to his work, that he's saved us, and he's like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I've made access to God possible. But then I invite you to actually do the things that I did and to be a part of my mission. And I want people to come to faith because of you. All right, finally is this. Uh, the last point is, is pray in the name of Jesus. So we pursue the, the way of Jesus, and we practice the works of Jesus, and then we're going to pray in the name of Jesus. Look at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's interesting that the first thing that Jesus uh, goes to whenever he's talking about like doing greater works than him, the first thing that he gives is prayer. He's like, ask anything. You'll be able to experience uh, powerful prayers, incredible answers to prayer. And he says this thing that's kind of unbelievable. He says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Does he really mean that? Does he mean that? That's kind of a bold claim. And, uh, and so people have used this, you know, reference to ask anything, and not just ask outlandish things. You said, I, Jesus' name, you know, asked in your name. Is that what he meant? Um, well, we have to do, as Christians, whenever you are reading the Bible, studying the Bible, is whenever you see a statement like this or any statement in the Bible, we have to harmonize it with all the other things that the Bible teaches. All the, all the Word is true. All the Bible is true. And so if there's other things that say other things about this topic of prayer, we've got to harmonize them with Jesus' statement here. And so I'm going to give you very quickly, because we're running out of time, I'm going to give you seven requirements for answered prayer. Why aren't my prayers being answered? Um, here's uh, seven things, seven prerequisites. What Jesus just said is one of them, but what does the rest of the Bible say about prayer that God hears and answers? And I want you to know, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just the, the kind of the first seven that I could think of and alliterate because I <laughs> took me a long time to come. These are all going to start with R. Took me a while to come up with these. But first one is this. Repent of sin. Repent of sin. If I'm going to have prayers that are answered, I, I can't have sin in my heart. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That if I'm like holding on to some pet, you know, pet sin that I don't want to let go of, that I'm unwilling to leave, that I'm unwilling to, to, to ask forgiveness for, to repent of, he's like, I'm probably not going to answer many of your prayers. So we've got to repent of sin and confess your sin. Second is reconcile relationships. Reconcile. So, so I got to have a clean conscience before God, but then I need a clean conscience before people. And um, in Matthew 11, when Jesus says, when you stay praying, forgive if anyone has anything against you so that your Father who's in heaven may forgive your trespass. He's like, if you're praying and you find somebody in your heart that you have some issue with, you need to go deal with that. There's another passage that says if you're going to make a sacrifice and you remember that you have some issue with a brother or sister, you need to leave what you're doing Go and make it right, and then come back to finish worshiping the Lord. That reconciling relationships. Um, he says this about husbands and wives' relationships. Husbands, listen up. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor 
to the women as the weaker vessel, weaker, generally physically weaker. This is just teaching men, husbands, your, one of your roles generally is to protect your wife, to protect your family. There are some women who are stronger than men. There are some women in this room who are stronger than men. So, showing honor to women as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. You're telling me my prayers being answered are contingent on how I treat my wife? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's like, you've got to work that out, buddy. <laughs> work that out first, and then you come talk to me. But I think this, this is a principle for all relationships. Wives to your husbands, and any relationship you have, reconcile that relationship. Um, uh, third is uh, review your motives. I thought last night, I was like, it could be refine your motives. Review and refine, whatever you want to put there. Review your motives. Of James 4.3 says, ask, uh, you ask and do not receive uh, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So he's like, okay, so you've got the whole prayer thing down. You're praying a lot. I hear you. You're praying. But you know what? You pray a lot, but you're not receiving any answers to your prayers. Why? Because you pray. Uh, you have bad motives. You have like very selfish motives. You're just asking for stupid stuff is what he's saying. Like you're asking for some terrible things. If you're just like, God, would you give me that new um, Ford F-150 Lightning? Have you seen that? Have you all seen that new truck? That's pretty interesting. It might make uh, electric car drivers out of some of you. But, you know, God, give me that new car. God, would, would you help me, would you help me, like, give me a bigger house so that I can have, like, uh, more room for my bigger TV? Like, God, would you, we pray some stupid stuff sometimes. And he's like, review your motives. If you're asking for something, like, ask the question behind the question. Why am I asking this? Why do I want this? What's motivating this prayer request? That's what he's saying. And then uh, fourth, remove all doubt. Remove all doubt. Um, Jesus answered him in, Matthew, in Mark 11. So Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. James 1.6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So faith is one piece of uh, several things that contribute to effective prayer. And we do need to pray, like, Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. So we do need to believe and have faith and, uh, and to remove doubt that I have. Um, maybe prayer, pray like the one guy prayed um, to Jesus whenever he said, oh Lord, I do believe, help my unbelief. Like, like, help that. Give me faith, Lord. Remove all doubt. Five, remain in the Word. John 15, 7 says, um, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. If you're abiding, remaining in Jesus and his words uh, remaining in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. It'll shape actually what you ask for. First um, John 3 says, and, and whatever we ask, we've received from him because we keep 
His commandments. We keep His word and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. So remain in the Word. Like whenever, whenever uh, you're in the Word uh, daily to seek to know God and to understand Him and to commune with Him, like this shapes your thoughts, it shapes your heart, it shapes your desires. And, and whenever you're shaped by the truth, by the Word of God, you begin to ask for different things than you would have otherwise. Number six, uh, request often. Request often. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you don't ask. And I think that's probably most of our problem. Like, we don't even have to worry about the other, you know, six things, five things, because um, we're not even asking. And maybe after seeing this list, you're like, I don't even want to ask. Like, that's too much to worry about. I don't, even, I don't pray, and I'm not going to start praying. Like, you have to ask. He wants to hear from you. He actually says in Luke 11, 9, says, and I tell you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. The idea is persistence. Everyone who asks receives, and who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it'll be opened. In the context of this, he talks about, you know, fathers who give good gifts to their kids. And he says, the Father in heaven delights to give good gifts to his children. And so he, like, he's wanting to bless you. He's like, just ask me. Just ask me. And ask often. Persistence. Keep asking. Finally is this. Refer to God's will and character. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked him. He's like, if I ask according to God's will, what God desires, I can be sure that it's going to be answered. Because this is in accordance with God's will. And then to bring us back to John 14, 14 where he says, if you ask anything in my name, there's the qualifier. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So repent of sin, reconcile relationships, review your motives, remove doubt, remain in the word, request often, and refer to God's will and character. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In Jesus' name, is as Jesus as Jesus' representative. It's doing business for Jesus. It's in His name. Uh, last year, as we, do, uh, as we try to do every year, um, went to King Donuts and said, I want 648 donuts for teacher appreciation. We were going to give donuts to all the teachers in our, in our district. And so, give me 648 donuts and... Um, on behalf of Bayou Tala. Like I was able to walk into that donut shop confidently and make this outlandish order. So took faith, right? To see it happen. Because I was confident that I was asking in the name, doing business on behalf of Bayou Tala. I knew it was the will of Bayutala to make that request. And so in the name of Bayutala, I was able to uh, ask it confidently. 
And so in the name of Jesus is not to recite some magic incantation. It's not like you ask whatever you want, and then in Jesus' name, just tack that on there, and that kind of covers the rest of the crazy prayer. It's not just you're adding this kind of abracadabra, you know, it's not like that kind of thing. In Jesus' name. I encourage you to always pray in Jesus' name. But it's more than just a phrase. It's to pray with the understanding that the request you bring is one Jesus would sign His name to. See, in the name, we don't, we don't care much, too much about names in our culture. You name, we name our kids all types of crazy things that mean nothing. But in these ancient times, your name represented who you were. You've heard of having a good name, right? It's, it's not man, that really sounds good on my ear. That's a good name. No, having a good name is having a good uh, reputation, having good character. That when somebody hears your name, they think of all of who you are. And so when we say pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying in the will and the character according to what God would do Himself. It's a prayer that Jesus would sign His name to. So practicing the works of Jesus starts with praying in the name of Jesus, the character, the will, the authority of Jesus. And he wants to hear from you today. All right, let's pursue the way of Jesus. He's not just directions, he's a person who wants to take you to heaven and have a relationship with you. Let's, uh, let's practice the, the works of Jesus. Let's do the things Jesus did. Let's be a part of his mission. Let's share our faith. And uh, let's pray in the name of Jesus. Let's pray often. Let's pray with right motives. Let's pray in accordance with his name. Let's remember how all this began in, uh, in chapter 14. Verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You feel lost. That's okay. I'm going to show you the way. Believe in God, he says. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. These things are offered to those who believe in Jesus. This peace, this relationship, this salvation, this life is offered to all who believe in Jesus. So I encourage you to place your faith in Jesus today. Repent of your sin and trust him for salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. And you can be one of those who's on the narrow way to life. You do not need to rely on yourself because He is the way. You do not need to live in uncertainty for He is the truth. And you do not need to fear death because He is the life. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you're so good to us. And I thank you that you made a way. That you made a way. That when no one else would and when no one else could come for us, that you did. That you paid the price for our sin. That you um, conquered death in the grave. That you made a way for us to become righteous and holy. You made a way for us to have a relationship with the true and living God. Father, I pray that we would trust you. We'd hold on to you. 
that we'd pursue a relationship with you, that our lives would reflect the life of Jesus, and that our prayers would be praying as you would pray. And I pray that if there's someone in here who's never trusted you for salvation, that your Holy Spirit would work on their heart, that today we would witness even greater works than you did on your time on earth. So Holy Spirit, would you transform our hearts? I love you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.